everyone, and welcome back to another episode of World of Sharks, the podcast where we talk about everything to do with sharks, their relatives, and the ocean, brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. Now, this episode is a little different from our usual format. Usually it's me, Isla, your host, hello, sitting down with experts in shark science, conservation, education, and storytelling to take you, our lovely, lovely listeners, on a deep dive into a specific topic. But this week, I want to do something a wee bit different for a couple of different reasons. A, because it's that time of year when we're all slowing down for the holidays and maybe feeling a little bit reflective, you know, looking back on what we've done the last year and maybe where we want to go. And B, because I know a lot of you listening are at the start of your career journey, either at university or college or school, or maybe deciding on a career change, or maybe you're at the very, you know, early stages of your career and you're wondering kind of where you want to go next. And I know a lot of you want to work with and for sharks. I know from personal experience that that time can be very exciting, but also a little daunting and overwhelming. One thing that I found really helped me was listening to lots of different people from all walks of life and hearing a diversity of experiences. I think it helps give you ideas of maybe where you want to go and some of the steps that you could take. Also, and perhaps most importantly, it's really comforting to hear the many, many, many different and zigzaggy ways that people have forged their own path into this field. Because no two paths are the same, and although yours might look different from someone else's, that doesn't make it wrong or any less valid. But it does help to hear where other people have got to be where they are, and you can maybe take little pieces of advice for your own journey. We are so incredibly lucky to have had a load of amazing guests on this podcast representing a huge variety of disciplines and careers and with some wonderful nuggets of wisdom to give. So I thought I'd ask every guest from season four for their stories, their experiences of trying to build a career in shark and marine science and conservation and any pearls of wisdom that they'd like to share. I also put out a call on social media as well. I got so much back, people giving advice, talking about their own journeys, and even sharing their struggles. So I've compiled it all, put it all together, wrapped it up nicely, and tied it off with a nice little shark-themed bow. I really hope that you can find something useful here. You can take little sprinkles from each person and craft your own cocktail of useful information that might resonate with you on your own journey. Or just sit back and enjoy listening to cool people tell cool stories about how they got to be where they are now. I'll also be linking a bunch of resources and organisations that offer training, funding and advice in the show notes if you want to check them out as well. And I just wanted to kick things off with an Instagram message from the lovely Drifting Dandy who said, Don't be afraid to find your place if science is not your career. We need everyone. I wanted to start with that because a lot of the voices you'll hear in this episode are researchers or have a scientific background, but I cannot make this clear enough. There is a whole suite of other career paths that involve sharks in the ocean, but don't require a grounding in marine science. Drifting Dandy is right. We need a diversity of skill sets and interests to tackle the immense problems affecting the marine environment. And I can guarantee that yours will be applicable in some way. There are a fair few guests who we've had on in the past who are working as artists, storytellers, have backgrounds in business, marketing, economics, everything. We really do need all hands on deck. With that said, I hope you're somewhere cosy or walking somewhere nice outside, or even working in a lab or an office. I know some of you have us on at work, so hello to you as well. I see you. You got this. But wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you enjoy these wonderful people sharing the joy of finding your own way. Let's dive into our episode. So first up on our roster of cool people who are doing cool stuff, who have great advice to give, we have Dr. Lauren Eve Simonitis, an aquatic sensory biologist who came on the podcast to teach us all about sharks' noses and sense of smell. It's such a fun episode if you've not listened to it already. 
And at the end of our recording, I asked Lauren if she had any advice for anyone wanting to get into a similar field to her or, you know, just starting out on their career in shark science. And she had some pretty important things to say. I think first off, I would say that um, marine biology is really fun and marine science is really cool. Um, If you are really interested in being a marine biologist, um, a lot of people forget about the marine part of this, right? Like they love to study like the animals, like the sharks and the turtles and the whales and the fish. And it's so fun. But so much of marine biology is phytoplankton and zooplankton and ocean currents and ocean processes. So that is something that I have found super valuable is whenever I get students or whenever I'm in a situation where that kind of knowledge is really important, I find it like it's so prevalent across like our fields. So don't discount the value of like physical oceanography, biological oceanography, chemical oceanography, because that is so important to your animals. So you should study it as well. Um, also just, especially for people, I get students all the time who want to study sharks. And the truth is there's not a ton of us in sensory biology who study sharks. Um, but there are a larger number of people that study fish and sharks are fish. So don't discount fish. Like as a whole, there are so many more opportunities to learn on a fish system and you can bring sharks into that lab if your advisor is down for it. Or you can learn stuff, just really hone your techniques on fish systems or on aquatic systems or even some terrestrial systems. The same techniques we use um, are applicable beyond. So don't discount an opportunity just because it's not exactly what you want to study at that moment. You'll have your whole life to study what you want to study, but it's really important to get basics. And especially if that position is paid, that is super rare. So take paid positions, get your skills, get paid for your work, and then you can kind of build yourself from there. So great advice from Lauren there to A, maybe cast your net a little bit wider, pun not intended, uh, and look at wider ocean processes. And please don't forget all the tiny little things that really kind of form the base of our marine ecosystems. And also if you're working on a species or a group of animals that aren't sharks and you want to study sharks, all the skills and techniques that you'll be learning there will be applicable, will be transferable to shark science. And that's very similar to the advice that I got from Professor Mahmoud Shifti, who is director of the Save Our Seas Foundation and Guy Harvey Research Institute Shark Research Center in Florida. And Mahmoud studies shark genetics. And when we were having a discussion, it became quite apparent that Mahmoud was interested and developed a lot of knowledge and skills in the field of genetics before sharks came into his life. And here he talks a little bit about that journey, but also gives some really good advice to any prospective students thinking about approaching a professor with a particular project or, you know, wanting to get into that field. Yeah, so the genetics, the genetics came first then because I think, as you say, like the the fields of, you know, biological sciences and zoology and marine biology have advanced so much now that I'm so used to people saying that while they were doing the degree, they specialized in a particular area with a particular species. Whereas for you, you started off specializing in genetics and then that kind of the genetics is what led you to sharks as a means to to solve a problem. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was. It, it was not a general fascination fascination with sharks. Uh, in fact, you know, I get so many prospective students, graduate students, applying to work in my lab at the CSC's um, Foundation Shark Research Center, and you know, they they all say I am fascinated by sharks, uh, and I want to work on sharks. And it was it was completely a different experience for me. It was it was really, you know, a, a problem. I I thought I could. I, I was able to solve using genetics. It just shocks just happened to be uh, like a, a, a subject. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's the way it worked out. Yeah, I, I was definitely one of those students. Um, I remember going to some of my professors because at the time I was very, very interested in marine mammals. Don't hate me, listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's what I would say. I, I really want to work with this species. And they'd be like, well, 
what do you want to do with this species? And I was like, I don't know. I just really, just really like the species. Um, <laughs> so I can, I can sympathize with people saying they want to work with sharks, but um, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually tell tell these students, I said, you know, that's not the best approach to take. It's great to, to be interested in sharks or you know, whatever, whatever species group you, you, you like. Uh, but pick a discipline, you know, pick, pick, you know, ecology or genetics or physiology or biochemistry or, and then apply those principles to the species that interest you. Uh, because ultimately it's going to be, you, you need to have a, a knowledge and strength, uh, strength in a in a in an academic or in, in a research discipline, not a, a species. Mm. So, like Lauren and Mahmoud have said, it is important when you're thinking about what you want to specialize in to not be geared too much by the species that you want to work with, and it's important to have a discipline and kind of the questions that you want to answer sort of in mind, and you can hone your skills and techniques on other groups of animals and then apply them to sharks. But we have had a lot of guests on the podcast who have been passionate about sharks from the very, very beginning. And that has driven them through their entire careers, whether that be in science or whether that be in conservation. And one of those is Franco Cristiani, who you might recognize from our last episode. He studies the impacts of marine-based pollutants on chondrichthians. But Franco, as he explains here went for his PhD because he was just excited to be working in anything to do with sharks. And this is why it's important to hear a diversity of experiences, a diversity of perspectives, and kind of make your own path from there because everybody has done things differently. Here, Franco talks about his journey into his PhD, some of his decision-making behind that, but also some of the conservation projects that he's worked on all over the world and how that led him to be where he is now. I see a lot in like biology students that I mean they like nature and, and everything, but but they don't have perhaps a specific animals or or something that attracts them more. But when they start studying and they get to zoology and and start learning about sharks, I, I mean they are fascinating. Uh, and, and and I'm trying to be object that not as a as a fanatic of uh, of sharks, but they're really, really special animals, you know, if you look all the evolution and the physiology and, and I mean, everything, the anatomy, everything is amazing with sharks and they are really, really special. And when you get to, to learn about them, it's like it grows that fascination. Oh, absolutely. And you can totally be a fanatic. This is a this is a safe space for shark nerds and shark fanatics everywhere. <laughs> you can be nerdy. <laughs> nice, nice. But, so you so you went and studied uh, biology and zoology. And then after your degree, um, I was reading in my research that you took part in lots of different conservation projects uh, around the world to do with sharks which doesn't surprise me now I hear your background, like you were very, very focused on on where you wanted to go. But can you tell us a little bit about these and how they kind of led you to the PhD that you're, that you're doing now? Uh, yes, as you notice, while I was studying, I was kind of like uh, anxious all the time with being with sharks and not just being in a, in a classroom or, or reading books. I, I, I needed that contact and feel like, okay, what do biologists do? What means to be a biologist? So I, I kind of always try to, to search for um, like volunteering in projects with sharks. And, and one of the first ones was amazing, was um, a, a, a friend I knew that was working in Philippines with a, like a new project over there. He's called Gon Gonzalo Araujo. He's a really, really good biologist, he's a doctor. No? <laughs> uh, but, but he was leading this project with whale sharks in Cebu, an island of Philippines. And it was trying to see what was the, the interaction with a tourist uh, activity over there, whale shark watching. And it was kind of insane. You know, it was like, okay, let's, let's take everyone to <laughs> hunt the, the, the whale sharks. And, and there was not any control. So it was like, okay, yeah, I will go there and... Like the volunteer was very, very attracting. It was like, okay, you will be uh, serving whale sharks and swimming and, and, and taking photo ID and, and, and making behavior service and, and other stuff. And it was like, what? 
yes, yes, you will just need to get the, the plane ticket and here we have a house and we will give you food and everything. I was, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> can't say no. You can't say no to that. <laughs> My new savings were okay, out. <laughs> so I went there for like three months or a little bit more. And yes, it was, wow, it was amazing. I mean, it was Lovely in a, in, a, in a way, because I was being part of, of something to, to make it better and try and protect a beautiful animal. I mean, the whale shark was like, okay, I'm swimming with whale sharks. You know, it's, it's not that it was a place that suddenly you have eight to nine young whale sharks going around and I was swimming there. Yeah, it, it was amazing, but also it was hard to, to see how the whale sharks were, you know, how... It was like there was an, like an evidence of that shape of the thing that was going around there. But luckily, uh, that activity started to change and to be a little bit con control. Uh, I haven't been there for years, of course, but I heard that it got better. And, and that's when, when you feel like, oh, okay, I, I contribute somehow there. And, well, and the other one, that it was like a dream come true. Uh, was another volunteer I, I started. It uh, was after my degree, because this one of the whale shark was while I was studying. Uh, but after I got my degree, I kind of got away from the academy and, and biology itself and just moved to Mexico to work as a diver and try to, to get to know other things, being in contact with sharks, of course. <laughs> And suddenly I found myself in Baja California participating in the biology monitor uh, of, of great whites in, in Isla Guadalupe. And, and it was all the procedure and all the bureaucracy to get over there. It was like oh, insane. But suddenly I was, I was being part of that with an NGO called Ecosimati. And, and, and it was incredible, incredible, incredible. I mean, to suddenly face being face to face with great whites. And it's something that I was like from very, very little, you know, I, I dreamed with that. I, I mean, I'm fascinating with all sharks, but the great white was always, and I think that for all shark lovers, like the great white is kind of like the holiness, I don't know. But being part of that, like something it took a while to, <clears throat> to process, you know, like to say, okay, I was part of this. I think that, that that was the thing that told me to get back to, to science. Yes, I want this. This fills me. That's how I took my route to the, to the PhD. So we've talked about being driven by that passion for sharks and the oceans. And we've also talked about honing your skills and your techniques in your chosen discipline and applying them to sharks from a very scientific perspective. But now we're going to talk about applying a diverse skill set from other areas to shark science and conservation. We had a few people write in about this. For example, Madison underscore wildlife on Instagram wrote in and said, diversify your skill set find your niche and be proud of it, which I think is excellent advice. Thank you so much for writing in Madison. And we also had a very similar message also on Instagram from TJK Nature, who said it's perfectly okay to change your career and carry over skills from one area to another. And that all experiences that you have give you valuable skills and insight that you can take on to another career, which is something that they're feeling very strongly about at the moment, given that they're busy transitioning from a career in engineering to marine biology, which sounds super exciting. And thank you so much for writing in. This is a message also that came across from Henrietta and Rob's interview. If you remember them from a few episodes back, they are the research and program director for the Save Our Seas Foundation Daros Research Centre over in the Seychelles. And they talk about having diversions in your career, sort of going down one path and then that leading you to another one, and maybe not having a complete linear trajectory in what you want to do. And we also talk at the end about how you can apply those skills that you've gained in other experiences that maybe at first don't seem related to your chosen career path. I can't say where I picked up an interest in shark, but somewhere I picked up an interest in shark, which again might have been back then. But at the end of school, um, 
I needed to go to uni, but couldn't decide between biology and geography and went with geography. So actually my background's in geography and environmental sciences. Um, oh, cool. And then my three-year degree took me a bit longer because I was, I had made a well, non-ideal choice with my minor at first. So I was a bit behind and had to catch up on a, one or two models at the end. But I had always wanted to go to the African continent and hadn't gotten around to that yet. And then just decided I'll do it now in this last extra year because I don't really have to be at uni much. I don't remember how and why, but found a whale shark volunteering project in Mozambique, learned to dive in the lake at home in Switzerland, then did my open my advanced open water in uh, Mozambique, was there for two months helping on a whale shark project with whale shark IDs and guiding tourists in that sense. Then the sharks didn't quite let me go, and I did a... <laughs> A master's in marine biodiversity and conservation, which was an Erasmus Mundus master's. You travel around, you study at different universities. And um, for my thesis, I was trying to get to do something on sharks and briefly looked into great whites in South Africa, but somehow by luck ended up at the shark lab in Bimini, where Rob was doing his PhD at the time. And that's where I did my master's. It was not quite on sharks, more on fish, but on some sharks. I got some shark exposure. <laughs> to get to where I'm now, I did a, some detours over another master's in marine spatial planning, working some odd jobs and studying some veterinary sciences to then end up again by chance and luck, I guess, here in, at Daros with Rob. And so that's where you guys met. But Rob, how did you kind of get to, to Bimini then? Yeah, I mean continuing the theme of diversions well not really diversions I suppose but like um I I guess I knew earlier on in my life than than Henrietta that 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 was something that I wanted to do and then yeah I I went and did a a undergraduate degree in marine biology marine and freshwater biology but at that point in my life like it was there were so many other distractions and so many other things going on that I was definitely not like an a-grade student I was struggling my way through and not really I didn't find my focus until later on until I got into my PhD but undergrad yeah I sort of coasted by cruised by and then had a bit of a reality check when I nearly failed my first year and nearly nearly didn't make it through and then after that sort of bugged my ideas up figured myself out and and worked a little harder at that and all through that process from being younger obviously sharks are easy to get into once you're into marine stuff and ocean stuff sharks are easy to get into they're fascinating but then getting to that stage you and the more you the more you read about them the more you understand them then you learn about their plight and that sort of drove me to to want to work with sharks and to pursue that more so after i finished my degree i i knew i wanted to go to bimini went out there and did some volunteering just to you know, make sure that was a good fit and to figure out a project idea and stuff. And then went back there and did my PhD for, for three years. Came back from that and then did take a bit of a diversion away from Shark and sort of was doing my write-up for my PhD, coming to the end of it, whilst in Hull in the northeast of England, where I'm from. And unbelievably, then this role came up, which was part of this new partnership program with IUCN, International Union for Conservation of Nature, to work with the global marine species assessment doing red listing of marine species and so i took on a role there's i mean there's never been a, a role in marine conservation in hull <laughs> before and then just so happens as i'm wrapping up my phd this thing came along so it was blind luck then then managed to take on this role so worked worked with iucn worked with the species survival commission of iucn and the global species program for four years and um, doing marine species red listing but i think all through that process of really blindly ambling my way through an undergraduate degree in, in my phd as henrietta said like Bimini's an incredible place for learning and growing as a person as well like i went through so much growing up whilst whilst living there and like figuring out how to do science like it was it was something i had no idea about and i was figuring out as i went along and i really enjoyed um the the design the experimental design like project design things like that but 
delivering it, doing it right, doing it to a high standard. That was something that I was learning on the fly as I was doing it. And it was a really steep learning curve. And then jumping into this other thing was this incredible opportunity, but an entirely different world. Um, and I, I gained a yeah. bunch of different skills doing that as well, that I was just, yeah, incredibly lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And again, sort of went through this growing um, that put me in a position to actually come here and, and take the role that I did without those experiences and kind of the way that I had to go through them. Um, I wouldn't have been anywhere near qualified to, to come and do this. It's great to have goals. It's great to have dreams of like the, the things that you really want to make sure you do at some point in your life. Um, but yeah, these things that, that come along and take you on different paths, they're all incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. Um, and are all, as I say, growing experiences. And it's always okay to do detours. It's not like detours are a bad thing. A hundred percent. There you have it. Detours are not a bad thing. And that is definitely something that our next guest found out as well. Next up is Dr. Julius Nielsen. You might remember him from the Greenland Shark episode. He is the Greenland Shark Detective, which is the title that we decided he should have when we recorded the last interview. And Julius has done some amazing work gaining insights into these animals, but working with the world's longest living vertebrate wasn't always his plan. And it kind of just happened by accident, as I'll let him explain. It was back in 2009. Uh, I, got, I, I was a biology student at the University of Copenhagen. And I had this uh, student job in Greenland with the Greenland Institute of Natural Resources. Mm -hmm. And they had this research vessel uh, that, um, yeah, during in, in the summer and autumn time, it was in different parts of Greenland monitoring commercial fish and shrimp stocks. And, uh, and I was lucky to get on board to get a job to measure shrimps and fish and uh, ID them and, and all of this when, whenever the, the big nets were coming in. Uh, it, it was a bottom troll survey. And um, in, this, in the first year I went, I was told that uh, there was another cruise that the one I was participating in, that uh, there was a cruise where they were catching Greenland sharks. And at that time I had never heard about Greenland shark, but I heard about that they caught these enormous sharks uh like three four meters and and i was like I, I was just like wow i've never heard about them and 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 then the next year uh i just wanted to go on that particular uh cruise in that particular area where they are most commonly caught in greenland um to see them and and then we were lucky on that trip and we did get a couple and they were just enormously big i think the biggest was like four and a half meter and wow. I think we waited to about a one one thousand kilo or something like that. Wow. Uh, so that was in two thousand and ten when I saw my first Greenland shark and, and, and that was of course just I was just uh, super amazed by it, but to be honest, it was not because I I felt this strong connection that I had to do all mm. these things now with this animal, but it was just like one of many animals that I saw those years that I was fascinated about. But then some years later, maybe it was the year after or two years after, I had a lecture at the University of Copenhagen during my education to become a biologist with um, uh, a professor called uh, John Flink Stephenson. And he was talking about Greenland sharks and the work that he was doing and how interesting they were. And uh, he was working, among other things, with uh, aging the Greenland sharks. And uh, he had this location up in, uh, in, uh, in an area around s somewhere in Greenland called uh, Disco Island, uh, where there is an, uh, a research station where he had been catching sharks. And... Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he, he, he was working on, on trying to figure out their age because, they are, I guess we will talk more about that later, but there was these things that they were like supposedly super old, but you can't really use any conventional age methods. So he was telling this uh, entire uh, s uh, story to the class. And I, of course, was listening very carefully because I had, I had seen one of these sharks. And then when, 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 when he, as he went on, he, he said that the, the sharks he was catching was like, I don't know if we were two and a half meter or three meters or something like that. But he said, well, he really wanted some of the, the big ones because they were presumably also yeah. some of the older sharks. And then I raised my hand from the, the, the back line uh, in, in, in the classroom. And then I said that uh, like last year or the year before, I had actually <laughs> seen one that was four and a half meter. And, 
And he was like immediately, of course, he was interested and was like, oh my God, and we need to talk uh, <laughs> after that to, to, to hear more about it. So, so, so that was that is at, that was the moment where my interest kind of was uh, awakened. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, that was when when John told me about them, and then uh, then we had many meetings and talks and 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 so on. And then some years later, I was ready to do my uh, master and uh, and uh, master project. And then uh, John gave me the opportunity to uh, to 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 work on this aging study that he had had been working on uh, for some time at that point and uh, yeah and then it was first my master and then after my master project we were like we could see some of the results that they were seem to be old but but uh, it needed more uh, digging mm. uh, so so the master project then became a phd project and um, and uh, yeah yeah, and and, he, and, and here then we the are. And then the <laughs> yeah, and here we are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so we've established that there's no one way of doing things, and detours can take you down some pretty exciting and unexpected directions. But what about when you're at the very beginning of your journey and you don't quite know where you want to go yet? Well, our next two guests are going to talk about this. First up, we have Dr. Luce Saldana-Rus, who came on the podcast to talk to us about ghost sharks and sustainable fisheries management. And Luce feels very strongly about not being afraid to reach out to people in the field and, most importantly, putting your mental health first, which is something that I think we should all be doing, regardless of what career stage that we're at. I think the most important advice I can give is ask questions reach out the researchers uh even if they don't answer to you they we will answer you some of the researchers have uh, this kind of um you can approach to them and talk to them so it's very important to ask questions and ask for your interests and discuss ideas that's a very, very important thing. If you go to a conference, if you go to a talk of, of some of the research area of, of interest to you, it's very important to start a discussion about it. Because many people like don't like to ask questions, maybe are shy or or a fear of, of uh, say something by mistake, but it's important to ask questions. And another thing I will say that it is important to look up for the mental health. It's very important to think about it, to have very clear priorities in life. One is research, of course, but mental health is very important. So we need to do the things we'd like to do, um, exercise, meditation, whatever it works for you, but it's important to consider like in your schedule. Not only meetings, not only uh, study, not only reading, writing, also mental health. Yes, I couldn't agree more. It is so important to put yourself and your health, both your physical and your mental health first. And it's totally okay to ask questions, to reach out to people in the field that you want to be in or the career that you want to be in. A lot of us in the shark world are extremely friendly and more than happy to talk, even if we don't reply straight away, don't be put off by that. And I know it can be a little bit nerve wracking. I think that kind of comes from a little sense of kind of imposter syndrome. And this is also something that TJK Nature on Instagram wrote in about as well. They said that they have felt imposter syndrome a lot, but they get a lot of comfort from the fact that the scientists that they look up to are the first ones to admit that they're still learning and figuring it all out. And yeah, 100%. It doesn't matter how much I progress in my career. I still feel like I don't know anything and there is so much more to learn. Imposter syndrome is very real, but please don't let that put you off from reaching out to people who inspire you, and you know just asking them from a little bit of advice on how they got to be where they are like we are in this episode or you know asking any questions that you might have people are only too happy to help and this is also something that our next guest is going to talk about dr cara e yopak who studies shark comparative neuroanatomy in other words she is professor shark brain and cara's advice kind of centers around a similar thing so 
you know, not being afraid to talk to people and just how friendly we can be as a community. But she also talks about the importance of being yourself and not losing or trying to dampen down those aspects of you that make you who you are. First, the best thing I ever did was was read. Um, and that is true when I was five years old and I just read every shark book I could get my hands on. That was true of my what launched my PhD was just reading papers and and finding gaps in the literature. Um, I also think um, going to scientific meetings is really important. And I know especially for uh, undergraduates or people who aren't in a grad program, that can be very intimidating. But I found it so valuable to kind of see what research is actively happening now. Uh, and then also realizing that shark scientists, we are very human. Um, and at a conference, it's not just some scary name on a paper, um, which my first shark meetings, I was very intimidated as well. And then you just get to talk to these people and realize they are just shark nerds too. And we're all very excited about it. Um, the, other, <laughs> the other thing I would say, um, and this is just from my own experience and is perhaps a weird piece of advice to give, but I would say you don't have to take everyone's advice. Um, and, and that is a really important thing about listening to your own gut, listening to what you feel in your heart to be right for you. Um, so in podcasts and in, you know, interviews and all these things, you, you tend to think about this linear progression and, oh, you did this and then you did this and then you did this. But I have had also negative experiences and I have gotten some really bad advice um, where, you know, I was told not to leave the country. I was told that if I left uh, the US to do research, I'd never get back in. Um, I did my PhD in New Zealand. I did a postdoc in San Diego. I actually then moved to Australia for five and a half years and had amazing research experiences there. And now my lab is back in the US. Um, I was told that I shouldn't work on sharks, that I should work on a rodent model. Uh, and uh, I have had been given a lot of feedback of the clothing that I should wear when I'm doing my research. Uh, You're like, joking. Oh, no. So oh. you guys, you again, you can't see me. It's a shame. Um, I love dresses. I collect vintage. I sew my own clothes. It's just sort of a passion of mine. And no, I, I have been told so many times people aren't going to take you seriously if, you know, you're dressed too feminine. Um, and I think that is oh. so problematic. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, <laughs> And, I'm mad now. <laughs> oh, oh, and oh, trust me, it's it's so it's maddening. Um, it has no like what you wear has no doesn't it doesn't mean anything about like how good of a scientist you are or how you can do your science. It has no no bearing. No, yeah, uh, absolutely yeah. no bearing on that at all. Anyway, but, sorry, but, continue. <laughs> no, but no, so infuriating. Um, but yes, when I think about all these, you know, I, I have gotten amazing advice as well. You know, I got to meet Eugenie Clark um, at a shark meeting and she was so wonderful. And then I got to work with Glenn Northcutt, who wrote that paper that started my whole PhD. And he gave me some amazing advice, too. And and, and again, so I think you just we're going to go back to my least favorite question about smart, right? You just have to be really smart about the advice you take, but the advice you safely ignore. And I, I ignored all of that advice about not leaving the country. And trust me when I say I'm not wearing um, trousers right now, I am in a dress and uh, I, it will not change the paper that I'm working on or the grant we're submitting. Um, and, and yeah, so I think be, be smart about the advice that you take and, and ultimately just stay true to yourself when an opportunity presents itself. That's, that's, I mean, and I know you said don't take advice, but that is really, <laughs> that's really good advice. And advice is just that it's just a suggestion. It's just what someone has experienced. You know, you don't have to follow that exactly. And you're on your own path. I think that's a brilliant way of putting it. And I, I know I'm wearing a hoodie right now, but I love to wear lipstick and heels whenever I give a presentation because it makes me feel confident. Exactly. Um, whatever works for you. Exactly. And that's the key. It's sort of whatever, however you want to express yourself, what makes you feel powerful? What makes you raring to go in the morning? And it might be lipstick and heels. It might be jeans and a t-shirt. It might be a paratrooper outfit i say wear what you want and and work in in whatever way just 
makes you excited to get up and go to the lab in the morning. And that's one of the great thing about shark conferences because I've seen people in like dresses with sharks on them, with shit with sharks on them, like every every anything goes anything goes oh it's great and it's so much fun uh and and now you know like we were a family i go to shark meetings and people will ask with the same degree of passion they're like oh what are you know projects are you working on oh i read your recent paper that's so cool and then they'll be like did you make this dress it's amazing you know like it's the same because we are not we're not just our work, right? We have passions and other things outside of it. And I think having those things makes, makes my science better. So Cara had some really great advice there about not taking advice or at least not taking everyone's advice. So just taking the parts that kind of really resonate with you and that you find helpful on your journey. And she talked a lot there about carving your own path and sort of really, you know, forging your own journey. But what happens if you're doing all of these things? So you're reading up on your subject area, you're chatting to people, you're reaching out for advice, you're taking the advice that means something to you and, you know, not taking on board other parts of advice that don't work for you. What happens if you're doing all of these things and still you hit obstacles on the road, or you're not getting to where you want to be, or someone turns around and says no to you. Because believe me, that happens a lot in both science and conservation. A colleague and a really good friend of mine once told me that he gets 15 no's for every one yes. And that is definitely something that I can relate to as well. There's been several times where I've been rejected from something, or I've quote unquote failed at something. And it can be really hard to deal with. It can be really difficult to pick yourself back up, especially after you've been told no multiple times over and over again. It can be really hard to persevere and to believe in yourself. And so I wanted to leave you with this last story from Dr. Chris Pepin-Neff, who came on the podcast to talk about their work looking at the history and politics of shock by incidents. It's a fantastic episode. I mean, all our episodes have been fantastic, and I would recommend going back and listening to all of them, obviously. Um, But this is a story of a time when Chris came up against some pretty unpleasant no's in their career, especially around a time when they were trying to carve their own way in a relatively new field that not many people really knew that much about or really believed in. And this is a real positive story of someone who really believed in themselves and persevered despite being told no. I flew back to Australia and I interviewed for PhD supervisors and I put together a, like a email list, like an Excel list of every shark scientist in the world. And it was about 60 people in 2007. 60, 60s. Well, I know that's 2007, but even 60 doesn't sound like that many in comparison to, to now. Hey. Yeah, no. And, and, and these were like the lead. Uh, so I sent out an email. I said, I'm going to do the world's first PhD on the politics of shark attacks. What do you think? And where should I look for money? And the general response that I got from people was, you're crazy. There's no money. Don't do it. So I was sort of confronted with this response and I just decided to go for it. So I got student loans to take out the money and flew to Australia on a crazy PhD of a crazy idea that should have been on human lion conflicts, but wasn't because Francesca Panzeroni said you can do sharks. And then I landed in Sydney, 20 bucks in my pocket. And I set up an appointment with the Dean of Arts, Duncan Iveson, in my in my faculty. And I said, uh, I need a year of PhD for free, by the way. Uh, I said, I'll pay for the first year, but I need the second year for free because I'm out of money. And he said, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Chris Neff. And he said, what do you do? And I said, politics and shark attacks. And he said, why are we having this conversation? I said, because I'm going to do great things and you're going to be really happy at the end of this. And he said that it is possible that this is just crazy enough to work. You've got your second year of your PhD. Amazing. 
then my the third year was, you know, I came to work for Save Our Seas Foundation and I did a number of projects and and work with uh, Sarah Fowler and Mark Meekin and like like lots of really amazing people, Allison Cox. I mean, lots of just great, great, great super scholars. So yeah, that's kind of how I got here. What an amazing story. And I think we have a lot of people who listen who are at that stage where they're trying to figure out where they want to go with their scientific careers they're thinking about doing PhDs or even you know what they want to do at university and we always talk about advice for people and what to look for and that is a perfect your story is a perfect example of a having the right supervisor so Francesca amazing supervisor because she supported you in doing what you were passionate about and what you wanted to do and when you were like oh I don't think that's possible she was like no go for it you do that and you know absolutely go for it um and then secondly believing in yourself and you know really when because when people turn around and say no to you it's such a hard thing to come back from you get knockbacks a lot of the time when you're looking for funding or whether when you're asking people you know is this a good idea should I do this I had exactly the same thing for my master's thesis. I had someone turn around to me. I did a whole presentation to them, was really excited. And they were like, mm, no, definitely shouldn't do that. Not keen on that idea at all. And it is, it's really hard to come back from that. So like fantastic that you persevered and really believed in yourself and and pushed to do the PhD that you, you know, really wanted to do. And thank God you did because here you are now. Well, and I should say, like, it wasn't all, I mean, and I'm not, I don't think I'm painting a picture that's all, you know, no. roses, but yeah. but I remember being in a PhD interview with one of, I was doing field work and um, I went and I met with uh, like one of the people who was in the field. I said, so I'm doing a, you know, a PhD on the politics of shark attacks. And he turns to me and he goes, you realize you're a charlatan? And I said, excuse me? He goes, you're a charlatan. You're not a marine biologist and you're trying to study sharks. And I said, I'm not a marine biologist and I'm trying to study people. You know, in any academics life, whether you're a PhD student, postdoc, senior lecturer, whatever you are, you're going to be in a room where somebody says something that serves them rather than you. And I was really lucky that the next meeting I had was with another really big sort of titan in the field. And I told him the story and he started laughing hysterically. And he said, A, I'm not surprised. B, don't let it knock you down. You get back up and you think he said something like you're not a Charlotte and you're, you know, you're a shark expert just in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, it's going to be fine. I, again, got really lucky that this person was in the next meeting I was in, you know, a day later. But I think to your point, people say very odd things, especially when you are pursuing research that either you care, care passionately about or that might be slightly outside the box. I would say to everyone who that if you're inside the box, get out, get out of the box That'd be the one thing I would say would be get out of the box. There's probably more money outside the box anyway. It's more interesting. It's closer to your passion. Just be resolute in your in the way that you prepare yourself for public engagement. Because when you're front facing, people will say things. Um, that's not the worst thing that's been said to me. And it won't be the last. And that's, you know, it's okay. People have strong feelings, about whether they're in the field or out of the field or in the newspaper, or out of the newspaper. And all you can try to do is the best you can do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you told me what that professor, I don't know if he if he was a professor, but that, you know, the, the figure that called you a charlatan, which is absolutely not okay at all to say that to anybody. But it, it really did touch a nerve because there is still that toxic culture of academia, which we could spend a whole podcast talking about. It still exists. It's very much still present, but you still felt that. And I still, I'm still feeling that now when I go to conferences and I present, I still have to tell myself, no, absolutely. You know what you're doing. It is a real science. You do deserve to be here. You have, you know, it's still very much yeah, it just, it really, it really touched the nerve. I've, I've heard similar things said to me before as well. But I'm also very glad that your next meeting was with someone who was much more positive and much more supportive. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's a really good point to end this slightly different uh, episode of World of Sharks on. I hope you found something useful. But we've covered a lot of ground here. We've listened to a lot of different experiences, a lot of different stories, heard some advice, some pills of wisdom. And one thing that I would like to stress when we're bringing this episode to a close is that whatever path that you are trying to take, whether you're trying to specialise in a certain discipline or, you know, pick a different career path, you should always make sure that you're in an environment where you feel supported and safe and encouraged. Going back to Chris's story there, you don't need to engage with the people who don't believe in you. Find the people who are going to support you and lift you up and encourage you. And just as a reminder, I will leave links to a lot of amazing, brilliant organisations who are working to make the marine science space more accessible and inclusive. So please do go and check them out. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it contains some useful information for you. And if you like episodes like this, write in and let us know. You can get in touch on email. I am at Isla at SaveOurSeas.com or you can find us on social media. We are at Save Our Seas Foundation on Instagram and at Save Our Seas on Twitter. And you can always reach out to us as well for career advice. We do have our small grants which are specifically designed for people in the early stages of their career. So if you want to know more about that, feel free to get in touch. And yeah, last things last, this podcast was brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It was produced and hosted by me, Isla Hodgson. Our amazing visuals are by Jamie Silver. Our beautiful logo is by Nicola Poulos. And the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot to us and it helps more people to find out how amazing sharks are and who doesn't want that. And lastly, I hope you'll join us in two weeks time for our 50th episode. I can't believe we've done 50 episodes of World of Sharks. And also it's our last one of the season. So I hope you'll join us to celebrate then and we will see you next time. (laughs) 